0: Hey everybody, and welcome back, Rumcasters, to another episode of the Rumcast. This is John from Miami, and with us we have Will in Nashville. Will, how
1: is it going today? It's going good up here, John. I'm uh, I'm just perusing back through some of the responses we got from the last episode. We got some some really cool stuff coming in from listeners. One of yeah. which, so speaking of which, the last episode we talked about starting a rum society with Jay Cocarulo, the founder of the Florida Rum Society, down there where you are. You and Jay know each yep. other well. So if you if you missed that episode, go back and give it a listen. I, I thought it was a super fun discussion on like getting a rum community started in your local area. And we got some cool responses from people who are interested in doing just that. So um, wanted to give a shout out to Patrick, who is in the Netherlands, and he has already uh, he, he he got it started super quickly. Actually, he's already got he ran fa- with that. Yeah, he's yeah. got a Facebook page up. He's got Instagram up for the Netherlands. Rum Society. Actually, I believe it's called the Netherlands Rum Society. So I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it the correct way that the 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 people of my ancestors homeland pronounce it. Yes. But um, that is up and running. We're going to put links uh, in the show notes to both the Facebook group and the Instagram group. It looks like they already have about 30 members in each of those. So really cool just to kind of like seeing those communities pop up, you know, all over the place. And yeah, yeah like if if you're starting something like that, let us know. I
0: know. I saw it on uh, social media and commented on there as well. So I agree. That was so cool to see that there's people who are not only like thinking about this, but like took action almost immediately and that there's success already too. Yeah. Like you said, already 30 members and what it's been maybe, you know, a week or two and it looks like they're already doing cool stuff with it. So that's really, really nice. And, and congrats on that. I also got a uh, social media message from another of our listeners who said they were going to start one in Texas Oh, nice. as well. So that was really cool to see. And and i think that he's still working on getting that together so if you're if you're thinking about getting it together and need some help with it we are happy we to get boost. that word out we'll give it a little yeah. boost and make sure we're getting people with rum societies in all over the place as as you mentioned you know jay and myself and and a few other uh, great people in the florida rum society which we're now i think over 450 members what? Now, have been doing so many things and i'm so excited about him. will yeah. i can't say much yet but definitely i'm putting you on notice there's some really cool stuff that the florida rum society is doing for 2021 putting me on and notice
1: i like this yes. you're really like <laughs> you're you're at home plate and just like pointing the bat at center field right now oh this is this is for the fences
0: man i'm calling the shot um no, I mean, it, there really is so many great things, including uh, really ro- notable rum people and rum companies that are doing things. They're really taking to the idea of these local rum societies. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I can't wait to see more of those pop up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's to me, like, the coolest thing about wanting, like, seeing new ones pop up is I I just think it's such a great opportunity for anyone who, like, loves rum and, and wants to like see more people coming to the category and appreciating it and understanding it better. I think yeah. that like not only is starting up a, you know, a local uh, society group, whatever you want to call it in your community, a great way to like do that on your own. But then I think those are great little hubs for brands, companies, uh, you know, personalities in the wrong world. It's, it's like a great place for them to come to and it makes it easier for them to reach the right people. So exactly. um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's great. So, like and John what better said. time to do it, right? I mean, yeah. right, you know, right now it's the holidays
0: coming around. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. This should be uh, coming out hopefully around then. And uh, I think right now is a great time to get people together in the midst of, of course, everything that's going on. People are, are still social and physical distancing everywhere yep. in the world. But that doesn't invalidate the things you can do with the online rum societies. For so. sure. Sure. I think it's a great time to do that and agree completely with that. So yeah, uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, by the way, are you uh, you're gonna be cooking this uh, Thanksgiving?
1: That's right. yeah. And so it's just going to be my wife Samantha and I, you know, unfortunately with everything going on, especially numbers going up a lot in our area here in Nashville, yeah. um, no relatives coming in. Uh, but we are we're going a little non-traditional instead of a Thanksgiving dinner. We are having what we're <laughs> what we're calling a Buttsgiving giving dinner um, because I'm going to smoke a pork butt uh, on, on the, the nice. Grill. Yeah. So uh, happy buttsgiving very non-traditional to, 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 to me and my wife. Yeah. Happy butts
0: giving to you. We're doing much <laughs> the same. And uh, well, we're, we're going to call ours uh, rums giving because just sounds okay, good. That's, that's and, good. Yeah. Uh, and because we'll have rum uh, for sure there. Same thing as you, though. We're not doing a whole big thing or not having our family over like we usually do. So, you know that's a little tough but at the same time it allows us to be a little non-traditional as you mentioned so we're we're definitely going to do something non-traditional as well and rum will be a big part of that yeah for Um, sure
1: that's kind of like the way that i look at it is like it it does suck to like not be able to see family around mm -hmm. the holidays Um, especially like my my sister and her husband have two young kids um, and any time we get to spend with them is always really special you know because they're like growing up constantly they're not gonna be kids forever but i try to remind myself that like It's, you know, when there's a curveball or whatever, it's kind of an opportunity to, like, lean into it and, like, do something different, do something you would normally do. Um, And, you know, it's just, like, a bump in the road in the grand scheme of things. We'll be able to have normal holidays. Hopefully next year, I, I'm optimistic I, about that. So I think so. Um,
0: I do want to know from listeners, though, if anybody has any good rum Thanksgiving type recipes, whether it's dessert or not. I'm really curious to know if there's some of that out there. And of course, you know, I can search the internet, but it's the ones that maybe not are not on the internet as recipes that I want to hear people are involving right. rum in, in Thanksgiving. The ones that, that, that are important so to cool. you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also, if you have any like fun rum experiences during Thanksgiving, write us. Write us at uh, host at rumcast.com. Send us an email, host at rumcast.com, and share your experience with us. It would be cool to like read through some of those and maybe share them uh, with listeners yeah. on a future episode. And, and speaking
0: uh, of that. Yeah, speaking right? of which, um, <laughs> we,
1: we got a great email response from our last episode. One of the topics that came up uh, during our conversation with Jay was, you know, something that we talk about a lot, which is how to suggest rums to people who are new to the category. Right. And we had a great email from Adrian Stoner, who is the on-premise manager in Chicago for Maison Ferran. And before that, she worked for Spearbaum. Um, she also spent some time at Lost Lake, the uh, tiki bar up there in Chicago yeah. that I've always heard so many great things about. Um, so if anyone has like a lot of experience recommending rums to people, uh, it's definitely Adrian. And she shared like a little bit of kind of her strategy for doing that. So I uh, wanted to read the response real quick from Adrian. So she said In answer to how to suggest rum to newbies, rum bartenders work on this daily. When I was at Lost Lake, folks would come in and ask about rums with the usual preconceived notions. Some Mm -hmm. folks assumed all rum is sweet and that's exactly what they like. Other folks refuse to try because they also think it's sweet. That's a great point, by the way. Just to interject, is like the rum is sweet misconception works two ways. To some people, right. that's like uh, a feature more than a bug. And to other people, it's <laughs> it's why they stay away from it. So that that's that's an interesting. That's part thing to of note. the
0: complexity of introducing rums, yeah, right? Exactly. Because you don't know
1: which group they're in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so continuing, she said. Uh, in general, I usually ask what they're used to drinking. Absolutely, Scotch drinkers will love long aging uh, of some Barbados rums aged Jamaican as well. Bourbon yeah. drinkers are a wild card because they might go either sweetened rum, column still aged, really you never know. Uh, t- hmm. Tequila drinkers might dig Rum Agricole, Aguardiente, Zumir, Clarense. Uh it's a mm-hmm. science learning how to read your guest and I use that in my work now on the supplier side. Getting folks excited about rum is the best part of my job. Everybody has a gateway. Mine was Rum JM Gold. And to this day, it reminds me of my shifty of choice at Three Dots. Um, (laughs) So I I think that's spot on. And uh, what Adrian mentioned about bourbon drinkers is something like I think those anytime I'm trying to like introduce someone to rum for the first time. Mm-hmm. usually i'm talking to someone who's a bourbon drinker a right. because i live in tennessee so like you know makes sense. we're in, bourbon in country in bourbon yeah. country yeah. Uh, but i think that's probably relatable i like i mean bourbon is, is popular all over the u.s so um Definitely. but yeah like i kind of i have that curveball experience too i really don't know how to predict what bourbon drinkers are going to like and uh i actually i recently put together a few samples for a buddy of mine um, who likes bourbon and doesn't have much experience with rum. And I gave him mm-hmm. samples of, I think it was Foursquare 2005, um, Hampton, nice Hampton Estate 46, <laughs> um, nice. Appleton 21, and a privateer distiller's drawer release, uh, wow. which I think was like a four-year-old Queen's Share rum. Uh, right. and I gave those to him and I had, I had no idea like which ones he would like which ones he would gravitate to and I wouldn't be surprised with him liking any of those because I think they're all fantastic right, right, uh,
0: right. but he did respond
1: eventually he texted me like uh, a week or so ago and was like just going on about how much the privateer blew his mind, um, huh. and I uh, yeah. So you just you never know. I was kind of expecting maybe more the foursquare, um, right? Right. I mean, privateer to me though makes makes sense as well. Um, oh, you know, it definitely it it I, it gets compared to having kind of like a whiskey like profile, so it makes sense. But I
0: I agree with that for sure, and and it's not surprising to be honest with you. And what privateer is doing, especially at their young aging level right now, mm-hmm. is. I mean, pretty amazing. I think we can all as rum drinkers agree with that. So yeah, for sure. Uh, not not surprising. What what I do like and, and wanted to respond to with Adrian's message that I, I think is the genius in the concept of it is that very few people of our friends are gonna be few are, are gonna be new to spirits in general. Right? Yeah. They may be new to rum or they may have a preconceived notion of rum is when they were in college, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they probably have drank bourbon and scotch or may already, you know, kind of engage in that as as their spirit of choice. And then figuring that out, whatever it is, and then giving them that kind of tailored experience makes so much sense. And I wish I had thought of it. And I'm so glad that she said that because that has informed my response now when I'm helping people to try new rums. And I will always ask them that from now on. Yep. So, so good uh, tip. Hats off. Super good, Adrian. Tip.
1: Thank you for the email. And I guess on that note, we should get into our guest for this week, uh, which was Delphine Garder, the CEO of Rum Barbancourt uh, mm. from Haiti, a brand that I think all of our listeners are, are probably somewhat familiar with, even if they haven't tried it. It's definitely, as we note with uh, Delphine at the beginning of the interview, it's, you know, pretty ubiquitous in the United States. It's it is. it's one of those that I know I, I saw all the time, you know, before I ended up trying it. And yep. um, yeah, they're just, it's a company that is at a really interesting place right now. It's a brand that I think a lot of people like I I'm speaking from personal experience, like mm-hmm. weren't quite like couldn't wrap their minds totally around it. Like you know it's from Haiti. You've mm-hmm. heard that it's made from cane juice rather than molasses, but like you've also read that it's not agricole. They don't call themselves an agricole. Um right. it's not clarin, which is like the you know the other thing Haiti is known for when it comes to cane spirits. So ever since Delphine came on as CEO, uh, which is back in 2017, Uh, And especially in more recent months, uh, she has been getting out there a little bit more and like trying to help people get through like some of the like misconceptions and stuff like that uh, and just give like more clarity around what the what the brand is. So, um I'm excited for people to hear this.
0: And me too. I really uh enjoy Barb and Court as well and actually speaking of Gateway Rums, Barb and Court was one of my Gateway Rums. Yeah. Um, I think I think
1: I think it works like that for a lot of people.
0: Like you said, it's pretty available in a lot of places and um I had a flight that included Barbancourt, uh neat. Mm-hmm. and really found that to be so interesting. And as, as you kind of said, it's kind of different in profile than a lot of other things. And that was one of the initial moments to me where I said, wow, rum is so diverse and yeah. different in its offerings and what brought me into the hobby. So I think Barb Court has a role there for me and will always have kind of an emotional connection as one of the few rums that opened my mind to the, the potential uh, large world of rum that's out there beyond the, you know, very bottom shelf type of stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that for we're sure. used to from, from a lot of other stuff. I think uh, we can just uh, go to the interview, you think, and yeah. let people hear it. Let's jump right in.
1: Alright, so we are here with Delphine Gardère, the CEO of Uh Delphine, thanks so much for joining us. I know you mentioned you've been doing a lot of media today. So we, we're grateful that you're, you're uh, ending the day with us and uh, we hope to do our best to, to make the interview uh, entertaining for you.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure.
1: Absolutely. Um I you know I've I've been really excited to talk to you. Before we started recording, we were talking about several weeks back or it might have been a couple months now at this point. You did a live stream with Werspa and uh, Matt Petrick that was part of a series. I did. Yeah, and um I, I you know helped produce that and I remember when Matt told me he was like, "Hey, uh, Barbancore is going to be the next producer we have on." And I was like, "Oh wow." Um because like it's it's one of those brands that is pretty ubiquitous mm-hmm. on store shelves if you're a fan of rum in the U.S. and it's it's really kind of unlike anything else out there. But when when he said that barbecues coming on, it kind of struck me all of a sudden like how little I definitively knew about it other than it's from Haiti, uh, it's made from sugarcane juice. But I knew it it's not it's not the same as Agricole. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you did the live stream, which was really great, and uh, we started to try to schedule this interview shortly after. Uh, because there was so much more, I felt like other rum enthusiasts like John and myself, you know, would have a lot of the same questions. And then, you know, shortly after I saw an interview pop up in the Daily Beast that you did with Maggie Campbell from Privateer, which is also really interesting. So it kind yeah. of feels like Barb is sort of getting out there more than it has in the past. And I was interested to know, is, has that been a concerted effort on your part? And, and, and you mentioned you were doing a lot of media before the interview today. So what is kind of that experience 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 been like so far of you know doing all these interviews and and getting out there and stuff like that?
2: Well I kind of um haven't been in the spotlight for a while. And we just are looking at reviewing your strategy marketing wise and globally and going with more media interviews is definitely part of the project.
1: Yeah. Um and, and I did I wanted to talk about, you know, zooming out a little bit. You Became CEO in 2017, I believe. Fifth generation of the family that started Barb and Court all the way back in 1862. I think I have the year right. Amazing. So the, the business yes. has been around you all your life, but, but you were coming in from the fragrance and perfumery industry. And we'll talk more about later, but what have the last three years been like coming in as the CEO of this business? that has been around for so long. What was kind of like... How do you approach that? It just seems like such a huge task. I'm just interested to kind of know what's like the CEO to-do list coming into <laughs> the job and how has it evolved over the past few years?
2: I'm going to be honest, um our mother is Haitian since 1862, so we are a 150-year-old business. Yeah, yes. I'm actually very very humbled by the history and legacy of our family business. Um as a CEO, My role really is to grow and maintain the business for future generations, make sure that we're able to pass it on down not only to the family, but also to the Haitian community Mm -hmm. for which we're an ambassador
0: And speaking of that history, and I saw an article that was published, I think it was 10 years ago, and it was your father, Thierry, uh, who was then, I think, the general director of Barbancore, and he was quoted as saying, our goal has always been to keep the traditions going, which sounds a lot like what you were just saying there. So how do you view that strategy of maintaining the traditions while also thinking about innovation and balancing of efficiency and new processes?
2: Today, we employ 500 people, and we work with about 3,000 farmers. We need to keep them involved in the decisions we make and how we move forward with innovation. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a key aspect.
0: Got it. So inclusive, yeah.
2: Exactly. We consider ourselves a craft brand as well. So any innovation needs to be part of the DNA of Barb and Co., which is craft and family business.
0: Right, so it's not something you're deciding just on your own as a company. It's really a community effort in that way. And absolutely, gotcha, gotcha. That's actually re- I, I, really interesting. Go ahead, Will.
1: Sorry, just to, just to cut in, I, you you talked about you know thinking about those uh, all the employees that you have, and I remember. On that uh, live stream with Worspa, you you uh, were talking about, I, I think um, Vladimir, who was on the, the live stream with you, was talking about the possibility of bringing in a new bottling line or something like that. And how it, you know, yes. b- just just because you may be getting more efficient in some capacity, you don't want to then turn around and go to some of the employees who have worked there for you know, decades at this point and just say like, you know, okay, uh, this new bottom line does your job for you. So, you know, goodbye. Nice to see you. Um, and I think that's a really interesting, that, ha- that has to feel like a big responsibility I would imagine as a CEO coming at least like, it's not only you have the family name, the history, the legacy, but right. you also have, um, all of these workers. Mm-hmm. And wh- what is the weight of that feel like to you coming in?
2: Well, firstly, I'm not, I don't think we would, um, we are going to invest in bottling. This is uh, one of our key projects, I'd say. And it's something that we would add on, add on to what we already have. Um, the key is building to what we have and not um, completely cut ourselves off from the future. Haiti and our involvement with the Haitian community is really at the core of Bourbon Court. And I feel that that is also my role as a CEO, as the fifth generation, it's to perpetuate that history, um, the Haitian culture, Mm -hmm. and really be an ambassador of Haitian culture over the years. I think every generation brings their touch to the business, you know? And with their own history
0: and own experience. Yeah. So speaking of your own history and experience, I know you worked for many years in fragrance and perfumery, as, uh, as Will said, prior to joining Barb uh, I know you had spent some time, I think, at Dior and Hermes. How does that experience inform your position now? And, and what is the fingerprint you're looking to, to leave?
2: I think every generation brings their touch, as I was saying before. Um, My grandfather was a jurist entrepreneur. He brought the business from the back of the family house to the equivalent of the Great Plains of Haiti, which at the time was a revolutionary. Then my father, an engineer, increased production capacities. And I come from a different background in the family. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a business-oriented education. Mm -hmm. And as you said, I worked not only in perfumery, but also investment banking. Uh And I've worked a lot on product development and also in a very female-oriented industry. Yes. So female empowerment is something also that I believe in and strongly support.
0: And when you say the product development side, can you talk a little bit more about what that is exactly?
2: So product development, we are looking at adding on products to our line, improving our products. Expanding the line. Um, Exactly. Expanding the line, reviewing our brand architecture. And um, we are currently um, being challenged with, you know,
0: um, bridging the gap
2: between the local and the international. Um, The rum industry today triggers escapism. Haiti is the first black independent nation in the world with influences from the French, Spanish... We have a very diverse and interesting culinary culture. Mm-hmm. So a challenge today is how do, you, um, how do you present yourselves internationally to consumers and make them understand your culture? Because our rum is not, it's not Hispanic per se, but it's not either French AOC per se.
1: Right. Unique. Yeah. yeah. It's
2: unique. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm really excited to to talk about what what makes it so distinct. I want to circle back real quick to some, you you mentioned um, you know, coming from a, a, a female-dominated industry and now coming into one that is much more male-dominated, especially historically. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that interview uh, you did with Maggie Campbell for The Daily Beast, and that was a topic that you you brought up in there. You spoke about kind of transitioning Barb and Corp from a, a male environment to more of a female environment, bringing more women into the industry, Um, obviously you being the CEO is a big step in that process, but I'm interested to know what, what are the other, you know, what other steps do you think are important in order to, uh, make not only just Barbancore, but the, the industry as a whole, you know, more open and more welcoming to women and getting them more involved in spirits and rum in particular.
2: For me, I think it's essential that women empower other women. Basically, Mm -hmm. Um, they have to be able to lean on each other and um, push each other to the top, basically. And I think that's what's been really important in the cosmetics industry is that women have been able to support each other and push, push each other to grow.
1: It's it's interesting. I, I, I feel like in RUM, I, I see more and more women, you know, elevated, I, I, like um, uh, Mount Gay uh, has Trudy Ann Branker now as a master blender. Mm-hmm. There was just a live stream yesterday, yesterday that had three female master blenders. Um, yes, I think and Lorena. more and more. Yeah, yeah. So we're seeing it more and more. But obviously, you know, I'm, I'm imagining there's still so much more work to be done. So um, it's always good to hear, you know, um, uh, people advancing that conversation and, and, you know, putting it front and center.
2: But for Barbara court, I've, I'm actually the second female leader of the company.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. That, so, yeah. yeah, going all the way back to the, the beginning. Can, and I, yes. I I think she had quite the I, I think you put it as sort of a fiery reputation. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. Uh, she, I think she was married four times. Jupiter oh, wow. was her last husband. She was fiercely involved in politics. And um, when she got married to Dupree Babacool, he was like, you need to stop the politics. <laughs> so she stopped the politics and instead helped her, help him r- run the company.
1: One, one thing that I'm curious about is in any time I, I talk to uh, distilleries, uh, brands that have been around for so long, I'm always interested to know where their the sense of the history they have now comes from like are do you have historic records is there like a, a barb court archives with all these old documents is this <laughs> stuff like yeah, yeah like well th- some distilleries really do like have yeah. these like very extensive old you know uh, archives and things like that sometimes it's more passed down you know through the family through through um stories and things like that like like what does that living history look like for barb court
2: The living history, I have to say, a lot of it has been passed down from stories from generation to generation. But I've been really lucky that actually Paul Mm Gardel, I actually know his niece. Oh, wow. And she's still alive. And she's over 80. And she's actually been able to redo the entire family tree for me and has been able to pass down a lot of the stories and actually wrote about Natalie, who was our first female leader, and a lot of the company stories. So it's been really interesting.
1: That's amazing. And And we still
2: have a lot of photographies in our archives um, that I am actually putting together today. Um, I would really, really like to do a book about our history.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be fascinating. That's something that I'm hoping more more of these rum producers that ha, that have these incredible histories, you know, like right. Barbacourt, like many of the others throughout the Caribbean that go back so far. Um, I'd love to see stuff like that from them as as a uh, a rum consumer. So that's very exciting. Agree. And if I'm remembering correctly, you you share her. Your middle name is Natalie, right?
2: My middle name is absolutely Natalie because of her
1: <laughs> destiny. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Who so, would have thought? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it must have been in the cards. Um, circling back to court as a product, uh, you know, when when we were first jumping into this, I mentioned it's, it's one of those products that people know, but I feel like they don't know the whole story. I know I didn't. Um, it's kind of, as you said, escaped categorization a little bit. It doesn't really fit into the... French, English, Spanish categorizations which you know are, are kind of outdated in a lot of ways for other countries as well. It's made from sugarcane juice and Haiti has hasized to France, but it's not rum agricole. Uh, then you have you know in enthusiast circles, uh, claren is becoming much more well known out of Haiti, but Barbancourt isn't that either. So I'd, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what what makes Barbancourt's production and flavor profile distinct from rum agricole and, and clarine.
2: Firstly, I think um, from Rum Agricole we are able to distill several times and at a higher level, which uh, Rum Agricole is not allowed to do because of the AOC um, Mm -hmm. specifications. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, we use a majority of French oak and a few uh, Kentucky burger bins, depending on the products, and our barrels don't move. We also have quite a long fermentation going back to that, which is three days. When it comes to Claren, um it's a complicated, I would say, a, a bit more complicated because clerin is uh, really something that was, um, that's really made in the provinces um, by artisans.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's not really, a, how would I say
0: industrialization
2: best practice for it yeah Mm
1: -hmm. a lot more variation right
2: yes exactly so there's really no no best practice for it even though I know the industry is trying to um, bring it to there and in terms of flavor you can't have anything from pot still to column it's uh, very different yeah and and it's generally at a much higher concentration than bourbon court where we're at 40 43 Mm
1: mm-hmm I know my my first impression trying Barbancourt knowing that it was a sugarcane juice based distillate my only experience with rums like that prior to it you know was rum agricole and so, it was com- a completely, you know, different experience. And it's it's not something you, once you taste the two, you wouldn't confuse them ever again. Yep. Same um, here. Bar- Barbancourt has, you know, a much lighter profile and, and doesn't have a lot of, like, kind of the funkiness that I associate with, with rum agricole. But uh, but yeah, it's I think it's really important for enthusiasts to, to know those distinctions. And I think it's great that, you know, they're able to hear, you know, from the producers talking about them more and what makes the production processes distinct.
2: I was thinking there's also, Claire is generally not age. It's generally like a rough, unrefined, not like in a negative term. Like it's a very rough rum, basically.
1: White rum. Right. It's punchy. And I know we're starting to see like a few small like, not aged for very long releases of it, but I've seen a few of those coming out like aged 18 months and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's all very, very small batch. Um, I, I do I want to talk about the the relationship you have with sugarcane growers is, is really it's it's really unique and different from a, a lot of other producers I've seen. So you're sourcing sugarcane from, I think over 3,000 local growers. I, I'd yeah. love to know more about like who these growers are. Is 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 sugarcane sort of the 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 sole thing they're focused on growing? Are they farming other things? Um, is is Barbancourt their main customer? Are they growing it for other people? Uh, I'm just really curious to know like what what uh, business looks like uh, for them.
2: So basically, we indeed source our sugarcane with over three thousand local farmers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We have a. Uh, agricultural department that basically takes care of just them and we work with generally farmers that are within a 30 mile radius of the plant um we help them grow their crops um do drainage if they want to do i would say co-cropping like you can you know in haiti beans are something that are it's like a staple okay Mm -hmm. This is something that grows well with um, sugarcane. Actually, the sugarcane helps protect them. So this is something we're able to help them with
0: right it's like a varied uh, environment right it's not in other places you tend to see just one type of crop in Haiti they're much more mixed within their their biome right
2: absolutely
0: yeah I think we'll mention it but are any of the growers that produce for court also tied to clarine I can't even say it have, the way you say it was awesome I have to work on that Cla- clarine <laughs> yeah John and I both have to work There's on little...
1: our, our French <laughs> <laughs> we apologize yeah. in advance for that it sounds so um, much more cool in, when you say it
2: some are but they The producers we have are historically producers that have worked with us for generations Mm -hmm. now, and some of them have been there for 30 years or 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Or at least their family.
1: Yeah. And what are, what are, I know, like, doing rum production with fresh sugarcane juice is a completely different story from using molasses in terms of you know like i think you said you have almost like a whole agricultural arm of the business that's focused on this because it takes a lot of work you know sugarcane is a crop so things like you know weather it has a tremendous impact mm-hmm on the whole operation when, when different events happen. What, what are kind of some of the challenges of, of working with so many small producers and working, uh, you know, with a raw ingredient that uh, is, is fresh and is so dependent on things sort of beyond your control sometimes?
2: Well, firstly, we have, for instance, a maximum of two days between the time we cut and the time the sugar sugarcane is milled. Mm-hmm. To limit dextrin formation. If it's been super rainy, then the bricks of the sugar cane and the fiber is not as good in terms of yield. Yeah. Um, so these are different different things that we take into account, and that can be challenges.
0: So Will mentioned earlier that Barbancourt is somewhat of a, a unique rum product, and, and I would agree with that as well. And I know that a lot of that stems from unique approaches that you take, including uh, aging. And I recall a conversation uh, where your COO, uh, Vladimir Delva uh, he described that aging as a mix of typical static aging that you'd find in most of the Caribbean and Solera-style aging. Can you tell us more about that and, and your approach to aging?
2: So basically, all our warehouses are interconnected for REM transfer, mm-hmm. and we use um, we have basically nine aging warehouses with over two thousand casks of different size. So we use the barrels, but we also have um, larger ones. Um, I forgot the name in um, English.
1: They're they're almost more like barrels, like, like the... really large vats, right. kind of right? Yeah, right. the vats.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we use both. Um, we first start with the vats and then finish with barrels. And then once they're in the barrels, they it doesn't really move.
0: Got it. So there's not really a, a what you would call a solera style aging then happening with it, where you know it gets uh, kind of mixed in with older barrels into or younger barrels into older yes, barrels after. Uh, okay.
2: Um, When we get to the blending and we're um, looking for um, the profile for the three star or five star, Mm -hmm. then we start looking at different barrels.
0: Got it. So it's really more of a, that's more of the blending process. It's not that you're using, if I'm understanding right, the Solera style to age things as much as you are just pulling from different barrels to then create the blends that are typical for the brand or standardized for, for what you're looking for in your profile.
2: Yes, but we also have, how would, how would I say that, a uh, best practice book within house that we've been using for years. So it's not something we do uh, creatively. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's like a recipe. Yeah, like maintaining consistency, right. I would imagine, exactly. is, is always a challenge.
0: Uh, is it correct to say that you only age in first fill uh, limousine French oak casks, or is that just part of yeah. it? I think you had mentioned also something about ex-bourbon casks.
2: Yeah, we do... Um, age in fresh filled French filled oak as well first use and we do um a few in Kentucky bourbon but that's mainly for the older style rums to have a
0: smooth uh so like just just the 15 year or just a
2: touch yeah mainly the 15 year
0: got it okay and, and are you experimenting now with some other cask finishes? And is that something you can tell us about?
2: This is something that we are looking into. Okay. But we don't want to do... What we're looking into is doing cask finishes that would add something to the DNA of the brand. And that's still core to the Barb product. I don't think, you know, we have a light and crisp rum.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, we don't want to go somewhere... Where we're going to be in maybe a heavily uh, flavored right. um, category, so we need to do a lot of tests.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That. Yeah, to kind of you're you're keeping the standard of the brand and and your identity. You don't want to lose your identity.
2: Exactly.
1: Right. And and real quick on on the aging, I, I've seen maybe a few other distilleries that have a a similar style of like doing, incorporating both vatting with those, you know, large wooden vats, but then also, you know, transferring that into barrels to age as well. I think, um, I think John, correct me if I'm wrong, when we talked to Steve McGarry from Ben Lee distillery Mm -hmm. in Australia, I believe that they do some of their rum like that. They do. And I, I think different distilleries have different philosophies as far as, if, they, if the amount of time the rum spends in the vats, if they count that towards the age of the rum that's put on the bottle, um, like some distilleries, let's say it spends, you know, two years in the vats. Sometimes they won't count that towards the age statement. They'll only use the age, the amount of time it's spent in the smaller barrels. Um, what, what is Barbancourt's approach to that?
2: To be honest, the vats, we only do it for about, six months maximum. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have to know that we have, um, we are located in the equivalent of the Green Plains. So we have very um, hot weather. Mm-hmm. So once um, the rum is in the barrels...
1: Mm-hmm. A lot so of evaporation.
2: There's a lot of evaporation, a lot more connection to the wood as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Which
2: if we had been in a cooler weather... I guess would be um, a lot slower.
0: Yeah, like the tropical aging factor. Yeah,
2: exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tropical aging factor is huge because I think we have about four percent angel share per year.
0: Four percent. Yeah. Is it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I've brought the I keep bringing up this this interview. I guess because uh, Maggie did a great job. <laughs> it was a good one. It, but and we love um, Maggie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was there was something you mentioned in that interview that I thought was important to talk about. You 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 talked about how haiti is not often seen in a positive light in the media and that you'd love for rum to be a positive ambassador for the country um what 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 else do you wish more people knew and and understood about haiti which as you spoke to a a little bit earlier has um a a really unique history and uh you know has, has has done things that uh never happened in other countries before
2: Haiti is, um, as I said before, I think um, the first black independent nation in the world. So that's really a strong factor. Um, We've had influences from the French, from the Spanish, to some extent, even the English. And we have our own language, actually, Creole. Mm -hmm. Haitian Creole is actually considered a a language, and is is even on Google Translator.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Um, I live in Miami, and uh, everything's in three languages here, including Creole is one of them. Yes.
2: Exactly. And it's really a melting pot of different influences. Um, We have a very, very strong art culture. You might have known Basquiat. Yes. And mm-hmm. we have local artists as well that are renowned for the complexity of bringing together African, indigenous, and European influences. So, Haiti really has a rich and dense culture, even culinary speaking. Yeah, yeah.
0: I-, I think the uniqueness of the Haitian people and culture overall really does show uh, in a myriad ways. And the rum, Barbancourt rum, definitely being one of those.
1: So another thing, the rum world has kind of been hearing rumblings of pot still production returning to Barbancourt. And, and uh, pot stills are always, you know, something that, <laughs> that make uh, rum nerds excited. Perhaps I, I think people tend to over-index sometimes on, on pot stills versus column stills. And, you know, there's uh, yeah. this perception that column stills can't make flavorful rum, which is not true at all. Um, but there you know there there is is something to Pot Still production and when people hear about it returning to Barbancourt they get uh very excited i don't think it's been part of production there since the mid 90s maybe um so yeah. why why is now the the right time to start considering that and and what would the process of incorporating pot still rom back into production even entail because as you've mentioned several times you know you have um, you you don't want to come in and just like completely upend the profile that Court is known for and has established. So um, why is now the right time to think about doing a pot still? And if you were going to start producing pot still rum, what are some of the ways that rum drinkers might start seeing it in action first? If you can even speak that far in advance, I may be getting <laughs> ahead of myself.
2: Um, well, firstly, we are actually really shopping for a uh, pot still. So <laughs> rum drinkers might be, happy to hear that. Um, this uh, was originally, uh Core was mixed pot, pot still and column, but mm-hmm. that was changed in the mid-90s. And we are looking at maybe doing a new product with maybe only pot still or mixed column pot still like it used to be before. It's something that we're exploring. Mm-hmm. And um, it has, I don't think it has anything to do with the trend, but just because we want to expand the architecture of the brand, innovate, have new products. And sometimes you need to look back to move forward.
1: Right, right. I was going to say, like, it is, it is a part of your history that that pot stills were there. What, what is what's pot still shopping like for a company the size of Bar-Bincourt? Um I, I imagine are you, are you looking for like a Charente kind of pot still? Um, like, are you looking at a, a lot of French companies and, and things like that? That you know that connection makes sense in my mind, but I don't know if I'm just inventing that.
2: We are mainly looking at French makers. Yeah.
1: Okay. Hmm. Well, we will I won't um, say more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, we will eagerly, you know, watch uh, from the sidelines for for what happens next with that. But it's exciting to know that you're looking into incorporating things from the history, doing things in new ways, and and putting out products that we might see sometime in the near future.
2: I think we're we're still a craft brand, and we want to stay that way. I think it's and grow, but grow the business, uh-huh. but in a you know with that with that in mind
1: it's interesting when the word craft is one of those words that i feel like has gotten kind of it's hard to pin a definition on on what it is uh like what what does what does craft mean to you because i think a lot of listeners will hear craft and they'll think oh that only applies to like really really small producers like you know the distillery that opened in my neighborhood two years ago or something (laughs) you know that's making like uh, 2,000 gallons yeah. a, a year or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, but, but I do think like it can apply to producers that are larger. Uh, and, and you know, I think they hear a, a brand like barbancourt that they've seen on store shelves for so long and they think, Oh, that can't be a craft brand. But what does, what does craft mean to you when you, when you say that? For
2: me, it's something that's really made with passion where there's people behind the brands. Yeah. Hmm. And, um, you know, I worked, for instance, at Hermes, which considers itself a crafts brand with craftsmen, where everything is handmade and there's a lot of artisans working behind the brand. We have a lot of that at Bourbon Court. We have our own um, people who do the barrel repairs, and there's a lot of, um, yeah, craftsmen being brand. And, you know, it doesn't matter for me whether you're making 3 million or 100,000 bottles. Mm. But if you have that dedication and that certain level of um, personal dedication with skilled people working in the brand, then for me that's something that's synonymous to consistency.
0: So the connection with the, the community and the, the hands-on portion and, and the culture and all of that within the company as well as in the surrounding area. Exactly. Huh. I, I think that's a good start, Will. We can write that down as a, a start to the definition of craft <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and put it on the internet. Uh, I, think, uh-huh. I think that would get some traction. <laughs> So, and and speaking about the people and speaking about Haiti as a nation and the past, which we mentioned, I know a lot has been written about the impacts of the 2010 earthquake and the impacts to Barbancourt and all of Haiti in that. But I know since the turn of the century, even, uh, Haiti's endured a number of those devastating things, including hurricanes, like Hurricane John in in 2004, Jean, I should say, in 2004, uh, Gustav in 2008, Matthew in 2016, uh, and I think a number of other very close calls uh, more recently. Uh, and being in Miami, I, I see those and track those a lot. In fact, my day job uh, has me track a lot of those and I see that. So I was always wondering, with all of that in your rear view mirror not too long ago, have you made any efforts to adjust your operations or prepare for or insulate against any kind of future uh, natural disasters at Court?
2: Yes, we have a dis- disaster recovery um, and if that makes sense in place. Oh, definitely. This yeah. is something that we're Uh, regularly. And when we have a hurricane coming, there's a series of measures that we have to take Mm -hmm. and everyone's aware of that. It's kind of like we have a drill now for these things.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and was a lot of that informed from the recent hurricanes and and especially the 2010 earthquake that I I do remember recall reading that it it did uh, affect a lot of the production for Barb and Court. And so I'm I'm assuming that, yeah, that was why you've spent so much time drilling now. Yes, yeah. but
2: you know, there's also things about earthquakes. Is that I think you know, there's once you hit a category six or seven, yeah, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, sadly, I think for smaller earthquakes you can tie up the barrels right. and you, we can take all sorts of measures. But there's a point where you just have to accept that at after a certain level.
0: Yeah,
2: um, you know, they were telling me like you could have. Uh, you can never have an earthquake-proof house, for example. Right. What really matters is the time it takes for you to get out of the house.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People first, right? And then exactly. everything else after. I uh, definitely agree. Exactly. But it's nice to know that you have made some of those efforts because, uh, you know, I love my barbing court and, and I don't want any, uh, <laughs> a, any uh, natural disaster to stop me from getting it in the future. So that's good to hear.
1: Yes. So I, I know we've discussed the pot still. Uh, you you also mentioned uh, currently working on exploring some different cask finishes and stuff like that. Is there is there anything else on the near future horizon that uh, rum consumers should be on the lookout for from and
2: I think that's already you know a, a big uh, big developments.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, we we covered it all. Yeah, I didn't want to. I think
2: that's gonna keep us busy.
1: I didn't want to imply that you should be doing more because that definitely is. You've already, uh, you know, bitten off a, a pretty big bite of new stuff to work on. But uh, I wanted to make sure that we weren't missing anything. So. You're not
2: missing anything. so You're not missing anything. Watch this space closely.
1: Yes. Well, Delphine, this has been great, and uh, we really appreciate your time. Before Same you, here. Before you go. We always have a uh, fun, optional segment at the end of our interviews. It's sort of a rapid-fire question segment that uh, John designs and uh, hosts. So, And then if you're up for it, um, we can end with that.
2: Okay, let's try.
1: All right, yes. I didn't even have to finish my sentence. (laughs) I hope
2: they're not too difficult.
1: No, 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 no. they're They're not difficult at all. Um, (laughs) Some of them uh, may be a bit silly, but they're not difficult. (laughs) On purpose, Um, Yes, yes. I'm the official timekeeper, so if you are ready, I will put a minute on the clock, and then I will um, leave you in John's care. So are we ready to go?
2: All right, let's go.
1: All right, go. All right,
0: neat or on the rocks? On the rocks. All right, column, pot, or blend? Blend. Your favorite rum with an H mixed drink?
2: Rum sour.
0: All right. Similar to what Foursquare and Hamden did with Probitas recently, would you ever consider a joint venture rum with a Dominican Republic rum producer to produce a Hispaniola rum? Why not? (laughs) All right. What country not named Haiti produces the best rum in the world?
2: Tough one. Tough one. There's just too many. I'd say Jamaica. (laughs) Different. Completely different.
0: Who do you view as the most influential person in rum right now? Tough one. Yes.
2: Um, I really like Alexon Gabriel plantation.
0: Favorite language to talk about rum in French, Creole, or English? French. The best perfume of all time is it Chanel Number no. Five or Shalimar? Chalamar.
1: Chalamar. Right. That's time. Lo- all right. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. Well Chalamar. done, Delphine. Thank you for being a good sport.
2: Well, it's a pleasure. These were fun. I like these questions.
1: You see? That was good. All right. You should we see We have we have more of them. We have more of them. We didn't even get through all of them. I was going to say you should
0: see the ones that hit the cutting room floor. <laughs> we had one that said uh Core has a mango and pineapple rum that's appropriately called Pango. Uh, are there any plans to release another blend of that rum and call it pineapple or or Mine apple? or mangopel? I
2: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe not maybe not <laughs> yeah maybe that one should have stayed on the cutting
0: room floor i think you're right
2: yeah <laughs> that's no i it's... veto 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 that one <laughs> that,
1: that's why it's good to have a ceo who has a product development background right <laughs> <laughs> <I
2: veto. laughs> all right
1: excellent Everyone, thanks so much for listening to our interview with Delphine Gardere. Uh, we'll put up links in the show notes to Barbincourt, their website, so you can learn more about them. As always, please feel free to email us at host at rumcast.com. That's H O S T at rumcast.com. If you have any Thoughts to share. If you're starting a rum society, like we mentioned earlier, send it to us. We will promote it, let people know about it. If you have any questions, any topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, please let us know. We always love hearing from listeners. And on that note, we also love when you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That is always super helpful if you can leave us a review that helps other people discover the podcast. And uh, last but not least, uh, keep your eyes and ears open. We've got a few more exciting guests for 2020 um, already booked and on the calendar. Uh, John and I are also planning to do sort of a year in review kind of episode reflecting yes. on some of our favorite rum experiences. I'm uh, excited for that. Yeah, we're going to have to come up with like some categories and uh, things like that, uh, just to talk about, you know, some of the things that we uh, just personally enjoyed the most that we were able to try this year. Yeah. So, John, anything else to add before we go? Uh,
0: no, just uh, don't forget, we're on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook as well. And you can always contact us through there uh, if there's anything uh, you wanted to shout out and uh, any of the stuff that Will mentioned. Or if you have some ideas uh, uh, on your own about categories that you might like to hear from us in a year in a review type of episode, uh, send us a note. We love to hear from you. And the feedback is... Is what keeps us going so uh send that send that going let us know what's going on with you in, in the rum world and where your rum journey is and we can continue to keep going and put those uh, messages on our podcast
1: all right well until next time i'll uh, i'll talk to you then all right well